A significant life exists to help you find and strengthen your God-given significance. Over the last year, we've served nearly 3 million of you through Pray.com as you streamed our weekly television and radio broadcasts, as well as other on-demand media. We've spread God's message of hope with over 40,000 via our weekly podcast. Through Jim Graff's significant church network, we've equipped and encouraged pastors and church planters in some of the most overlooked areas of our nation and our world. And this year, we're spreading the message of God-given purpose even further as we air a significant life on two new stations, Cornerstone TV and Vision TV. If you've been impacted by a significant life, now is your chance to pay it forward. Together, we can make a purposeful impact in our world and around the globe. So give the gift of significance today by visiting a significantlife.com. Welcome, friends. I sure hope you're having a great week. But whether you're enjoying blessing or engaged in battle, I want to encourage you that Ephesians 1, 17 to 19 says, God has real hopes in his heart for us, and he promises to bring us all the help we need so they come to pass. Last week, we saw it starts really with seeing what God sees about our life because God always knows what's best for us and what's gonna satisfy us the most. Today, we're gonna learn another important truth, and that is we have to learn how to receive the help God has for our heart, not just from Him, but from each other. Every one of us have been in situations where we needed somebody to help us, right? And when that happens, sometimes you feel weak, sometimes you feel a little bit helpless, and if you've made a mistake, sometimes you even can feel a little bit ashamed whenever you need help. And the temptation is to be like Adam and Eve, right, who whenever they sinned, the Bible says they first covered themselves. They tried to make things look better than what they really were. And then the Bible says they started blaming each other. And, you know, that's what people tend to do. They try to cover their failures with success that may not even be authentic. And often they try to blame other people for the failures that they had. But God gives us so much of a better way in his word when he says, that in your weakness, what I want you to learn to do is to experience the compassion that I have for you in my heart. And then I want you to let me help you by my grace live in the blessing that I know is possible in your life. And that's what we're going to talk about today in our second message on winning the battle of becoming. We're going to learn how Jesus not only helped his disciples begin to see the significance that God created uh, in their lives as people, but he also helped them live in a community that brought out the best in each other. Our master text is Matthew 4, where it says, Jesus was walking beside the Sea of Galilee, and he saw two brothers. Everybody say, two brothers. And I want you to notice that he didn't call them alone, but he called them together in what he was dreaming about for their lives. And have you noticed throughout Scripture that Jesus calls people together to fulfill 
the things that he wants to get done. For instance, he called three of them to be his closest friends. And then he called 12 of them to lead his church together. He called 70 of them to be the leadership presence in a church that built a community that God wanted built in, in the church. And then he called churches of thousands of people to live in unity because they could do together what none of them could do alone. Now, here's the first question I want to ask. Why does God call us to form families? And here's the answer. It's because of how badly we need each other in life. And this morning, if I don't convince you of that, I feel like I'm going to fail. Because when you study the Bible, in the very beginning in Genesis 3, what's one of the first things that God teaches us? It's, it's our need for each other and our need to support one another as family. The Bible said after God created the universe and after God created earth for man to live on, that the Bible says, God said this in verse 18, it's not good for man to be alone, so I'm going to make a helper who's suitable for man. And then the next thing is so interesting that God did, it said he had formed Adam out of the ground and he also formed all the wild animals and all the birds in the sky and he brought them to Adam to see what Adam would name them and whatever the man called each living creature that became his name and even in our society the reason that we have the last names that we have is some time in the past people began to identify people by the benefit that they brought to a community of people so my last name is Graf and that means we were people who were good with words and we were people who were good with communication my mother's maiden name was Smith that means they were good uh, iron workers in the community I've got a friend whose name is Conaway and when I heard his name I thought should I should I like not go to lunch with this guy because he's going to con me and then walk away. But I learned that what his name really means is chief warrior. It literally means head smasher in Scottish. So how many of you know you want a friend like that to be in your life, right? And Jesus, whenever he saw these guys, he saw their significance. That's why the Bible says that he saw Simon, which means to hear. And he said, I'm going to turn him into Peter. I'm going to make him somebody who hears God well and he's going to be a rock, and he's going to be somebody I can build my church upon. But then Jesus didn't just call them as individuals, but he called them together. And that's the second thing I want us to see, and that is God had Adam begin to name all the animals because before he created Eve, God wanted Adam to see something. And that is, can you imagine Adam, and he saw two of every animal, and he thought, God, I'm missing something. I'm missing the emotional enjoyment that these animals have together. I'm missing the way that they can help each other. And then the Bible says that God put Adam into a deep sleep and he took his rib and when he woke up from his deep sleep, he looked and there before him was standing Eve. And Adam said, I'm going to call her Woe Man. That's what he did. And the reason Adam did this was because now he had the part 
partnership that God first showed him he needed, then he put him to sleep, and then he gave him the partner that Adam needed. You know, I moved to Texas in July of of 1986, and that means I've now been a Texan, y'all, for, what, 37 years or something like that. I've lived in Texas more than anywhere else in my life. So how many of you will accept me as a true Texan now, right? But listen, when I started, I needed help. I remember my first year as a young adult pastor, this precious girl in our class gave Tamara and I some tamales for Christmas. And I took them home and Tamara was making dinner in our kitchen And I was going to watch a football game, and I thought, I'm going to have an appetizer before I watch the football game. And I grabbed a tamale, and I was gnawing on it with the husk still on the tamale. And I wish you could have seen Tamara laughing whenever she looked in. And part of it was, I wasn't that stupid, you know, but I I had my mind on a football game. But still, we all have moments like that. I remember afterwards, uh, a girl who had a great mercy gift in our group. I told the story and everybody laughed and she told me in 1976 that President Gerald Ford was running for re-election against Jimmy Carter and he came to San Antonio and they served him a tamale and I brought you a picture of it this morning. I want you to look at what he did. He tried to eat a tamale with the husk on y'all and I can just picture for you Spanish folks somebody saying Tonto, there's Tonto right there and they were we're talking about the Lone Ranger's partner. That, that means foolish if you don't know Spanish. But here's a man that literally political pundits say that that, that, that really hurt him in the election because if you're going to celebrate people's culture and if you're going to tell people you want to help them, it's always best to really know people and truly celebrate the culture, right? And Jesus called them together because friends are so important in our life. You know, there's a number of friendship quotes that I've I've kept over the years, and one of my favorites is that a a friend will make you feel like a good egg even though you're a little bit cracked, right? So if you have good friends in your life, they're the kind that keep you feeling good while you're learning to do better in your life. But I think probably my favorite friendship quote of all time comes from a lady whose name is Edna Buchanan, and she said that friends are the family that we end up choosing for ourselves. And the truth is, today, a lot of us have families, and we wish that some of our family members were better friends. And for many of us, the way our family works is if we got in a crisis, they would probably be there for us. But when it comes to really supporting us and helping us live our best, maybe they're too busy to care the way they should, or lots of times they're just too competitive, and it's sad because family shouldn't be that way. I don't know if you know this or not, but this... uh, developed in Jewish culture that whenever a bride and a groom would get married, the, the bridesmaids and the groomsmen would, would take the chair and they would hold them up and they would walk them around the wedding reception area because it was a sign that, you know what, we're their friends and we're called to help them, you know, get lifted up into the place that God's calling them to live in. And that's really what friends do. Friends support us in ways that we couldn't be who we were are if it wasn't for the friends in our life. So this morning, let's look at what Jesus taught his disciples about friendships that causes us to begin to win this battle of becoming 
coming. Number one, he taught us that friends are people who we need to affirm our callings in life. You notice that they were both there whenever Jesus said, come and follow me because I want to send you out to fish for people. And so sometimes, you know, life gets tough. And when it's tough, having somebody who's there to affirm you that God's hand is on you. I was there when God spoke to you. You know what? I know both of you, and I know you have a good heart, and I know God's working in your life. And you know what? I just want to affirm that you're going to make it, and God is going to complete what he started in your life. I don't care how strong you think somebody is. We need people like that in our lives. When I came to pastor here for the first year, our church grew from about 200 people to nearly 400 people. So you would have thought that I felt on top of the world. But the truth is, I was considering quitting the ministry and going back to law school. And the reason I was considering quitting is because, man, it was hard to prepare those sermons. You don't know what it's like to be a pastor and you work so hard on your sermon and afterwards everybody talks about the sermon they saw on television that you needed to hear. Can you say amen? And so it was hard to preach my first sermons. And then people are, you know, they're requesting things of you. And I thought, I don't know if I can be the father that I want to be and make all these people happy in the church. And I'll never forget, some of you might have been with me, we took a mission trip down to Mexico. And I was with one of my dearest friends. And I told him about the struggle that I was going through in my soul. And he said to me, well, you know, I'll support you no matter what choice you ever make for the rest of your life. But he said, I was with you in college when you sensed the call of God on your life. And he said, are you sure that you're not, you know, quitting because it's getting tough, but you really are still called of God. And for some of us, it's so easy to quit whenever things are tough. And that's why it's important that we have good friends in our life. Proverbs 17 says, a friend loves at all times, and a brother is born for a time of adversity. In other words, people who get through the hard times and people who end up overcoming adversity and reaching dreams are people who learn to find friends who become the family that they wish they had in life. I read a story recently that was probably one of the most thrilling and one of the most tragic stories at the same time. And it was about a young couple named David and Savea Flood. And they were called to be missionaries in what was then the Belgian Congo. It's the Democratic Republic of the Congo now. So in 1921, they set out as a young couple and they went down and for two years, they tried community after community to see if anybody would let them live among them and they got rejected every time. The best thing they could find was a chief who let them live on the outskirts of his village and he said, once a week we'll send a little boy to you and you can send eggs and chicken and the chicken with him if you want to bless us. So they did it and the, the, the wife, Savea, began to share Jesus with that little boy. And you know how little boys are. He received Jesus, but she wondered if he really received Jesus or not. And then after, you know, a little while, she got pregnant and she had a baby girl. And 17 days after she gave birth to that baby girl, she died because she got, had gotten malaria. And the husband, David, got so upset. He got so angry at God. And so he took the little girl, whose name was 
Aggie, and he gave her to another missionary couple to be raised by. And uh, she lived all of her childhood years there. She went to college, and she married a minister. And one day she looked, and there was a Swedish missionary magazine. And she saw her mom's grave marker on the front of this magazine. And she picked it up, and she read the story about her childhood, except there was one part she didn't know, and that is that little boy that her mom talked to about Jesus. He then went and led a bunch of his classmates to Jesus. They led their parents to Jesus, and a church of 600 people was built in that little community that planted churches all across the Belgian Congo. Now, that's a powerful story, right? But here's the sad part. You know what happened to the dad? who was the pioneer of all of this, he ended up becoming an alcoholic for all the days of his life. And it's so sad because, listen, we define success wrong, y'all. Can I tell you what success is? Success is Second Chronicles 16.9. It says, the eyes of the Lord look over the whole earth, and he's looking for somebody whose heart will turn towards him. Because if our hearts are turned towards him, he says, I'll show myself strong on your behalf. So listen, I don't know how you feel today, but I just want to preach some good news to you. If God is the one who's working in your marriage, if God is the one who's working in your life, you are not going to end in failure. God has something strong and powerful that he's going to fulfill in our lives. But we need friends because we get discouraged. We have lacks in our life. And a good friend affirms what God's doing in our life. Here's the second thing that good friends do, and that is they assist each other in change. Now, this is where it gets really interesting because, especially in our society, the affirmation part's really, really easy because there's a lot of brokenness, there's a lot of pain. And because of that, we all admire people who affirm other people well, right? But we also live in a society where good is called evil and truth is called lies. And because of that, it can make it really difficult when you affirm people, but sometimes you know that person really needs to change. And I want you to listen to the scripture in Colossians chapter 3. It says that we're to let the word of Christ dwell in us richly and with all wisdom as we teach and admonish one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, and we're singing with grace in our hearts to the Lord. So God wants us, first of all, to help each other be positive people. He wants us to sing. He wants us to have an environment of praise in our life. I read a book called The Happy Brain by a neuroscientist whose name is Dean Burton, and he said that the natural state, the natural dominant state of the human brain is happiness. And he said it's not supposed to be the default position of our brains, but it's actually to be the dominant position of our brains. So God says in church, we should help each other learn to live happy about what God's up to in our life. But then it says we have to learn to admonish each other. Do you know what admonish means? It means to warn and to mildly begin to help somebody make a correction in their life. And it's used eight times in the New Testament. It's used in Colossians, and it tells us that we have to admonish people if we want to mature them and if we want to make God's word have the effect that it should have in their life. 
And then we see examples of Paul in 1 Corinthians and in Romans and in the book of Acts. And he talks about how he's admonishing people because they need to change before their world's going to change. And then in Romans, the Bible says in Romans 15 that Churches need leaders who admonish people and who help people really make changes to their life. And that's why Hebrews says that we're to spur each other on, right? What does a cowboy do with the spur? He helps the horse realize that there's a direction that we need to go if we want to see things change in our life. And if we're going to be blessed, those are the kind of friends we need. We need friends who, first of all, are going to affirm our potential in God. But then they're not just going to affirm us, but they're also going to admonish us. They're going to help us make the little changes that we need to make every day. And then there's a third thing, and that is we don't just affirm each other's callings and assist each other in change, but then we begin to help each other as, as people try to complete what God's up to. And I want you to, I want to read this scripture in closing in, in Proverbs 18, 24. It says, one who has unreliable friends is soon going to come to ruin. What a powerful statement that is, right? I think it's why before Jesus was crucified, do you remember what he did? He washed every one of their feet. And as he was washing, he said, now this is a commandment, not a suggestion, but this is a commandment that I'm going to give you. You need to learn to love each other. And then he said, and just so you're clear, here's where I'm setting the bar. I want you to learn to love each other the way that I myself loved you. And it's so interesting to me that when Jesus washed the disciples' feet, do you notice he didn't ask them to wash his feet? That wasn't what this was about. This was about them learning to live a lifestyle where they cared where each other went. And because of that, they were washing each other's feet and, and, and they were committing themselves to good relationship. And do you remember what Peter did? Peter said to the Lord, he said, Lord, you're never going to wash my feet. And I love Jesus' answer. Jesus said, unless I wash you, you're going to have no part in me. In other words, if you don't let me help you, you're not going to have a part of what God wants us to know, where we enjoy the great emotion of being supportive of each other. And we learn lessons together, and we become together what we could never become on our own. Not everybody does that, do they? A lot of people do what Adam and Eve did whenever they go through failure, they try to cover it with success, and they try to act like everything's okay, and God's blessing my life, and when people do that many times, instead of you know, accepting their part and getting the help their family needs, they start playing the blame game with each other. And that's why for me, I can tell you the focus in this season of ministry for me in the future is I want to see the generation my age, the baby boomers and, and the people who are older than me, those who listen to the best music ever created and the rest of you just missed it. That's all there is to it. I want my generation to really invest well in the generation X and in, in the millennial generation. And I want our investment in those generations to pay off in the lives of generation Z and in alpha because we can all see, folks, our society needs it. Listen, there's so many people that are investing so much and their hearts are so broken. And it's because there's so much brokenness in their family and things aren't going the way that they, that they want them to go. And I'll tell you, if the church will be the church, I'll 
never forget when I was home, uh, it was in the mid-2010s, and when I go home sometimes, I get together with the guys I play basketball with, and uh, on this day, I, uh, I was with my friends, and I went out, and one of them, his name was Jeff, and Jeff, when I walked to the car with him, I noticed he had a beautiful Corvette, beautiful brand new Corvette, and his wife Kathy had a beautiful new Corvette right beside his, and I just read something before I flew to, to be with my family, and that is, listen to this, y'all. This is going to blow your mind. According to the U.S. Department of Agriculture, the, the average middle-aged person in the United States spends $233,610 to, to raise one child. And I remember getting on the plane thinking, I knew my kids cost me a lot, but I didn't know they cost me a million dollars just to raise them, you know? And so as I was walking to the car with Jeff and I looked at his two Corvettes, I said, Jeff, hold it a minute. Will you take Tamara and I's picture in front of your two Corvettes? <laughs> and he said, of course I will. But why do you want me to take your picture in front of my Corvettes? I said, I want to take it home and I want to show my kids what they cost me. <laughs> I want to show them what they cost me. But now listen to me, y'all. Listen, if I could have four Corvettes or four kids, man, I'd take the kids. Because how many of you know our legacies in our kids, right? God's going to bless our kids. And God wants us to understand that. He wants us to understand that, man, if your relationships get off, you miss so much. But if we learn how to do what Jesus calls us to do, and we truly affirm each other, keep each other positive, use our words to build each other. But we're not just shallow people, but we literally begin to work and we assist each other and even admonish each other. What does admonishing do? It keeps accountability in our life. There's another story I read that I love. It's about this lady whose name's Tanya. And she took a job driving a bus in inner city New, uh, uh, Los Angeles. And when she was driving the bus, you know, her heart was broken because she, it looked like these kids didn't even have a chance. They came from such brokenness and they were living with such bad habits. But one day she looked in the mirror and she thought, you know, what I'm doing now isn't doing anybody any good. And she got an idea. And she went to her school board and she said, listen, if I work with these kids and if I encourage them to focus better, to study harder, and to improve their grades, will you give me the opportunity to drive a bus across the country with them where I take them on a trip and I, I spend some time with them this summer and I help them set some goals? Fortunately, the school board agreed to do what Tanya asked, and it became so contagious that there's now something called the Godparent Youth Organization, and all over the country now, because people have been inspired by Tanya, kids that lived without advantage, kids that were broken, are having people invest in their life. How many of you know that's what Jesus dreamed of when he said, you know what, I'm going to build my church. And when they do church right, how many of you know that the, the gates of hell cannot prevail against a church that's filled with people like that? Amen. I sure hope you're enjoying how faith is growing in your heart because God didn't just give us his word to learn, but he gave it to us so that we would live in a way that it begins to change our life. 
And it happens for everyone who has God working well in our souls and also who has godly people walking alongside us, helping our hearts find what we really need. That's really why God wants great local churches built. God longs for his family to bring out the best in each other through empathizing in the tough times and through sharing transforming truths with each other that turn our problems into what God promised. When that happens, not only do we make great memories, but blessing is multiplied because we're helping each other learn what empowers blessing and stay accountable like we need to be. And that's really the reason for the broadcast. We wanna share with you what will equip you to live a significant life, a life where you continually step into more and more of your potential and enjoy living that life that's pleasing to God. We hope you'll go to our website at significantlife.com and sign up for our weekly Step Into Significance devotional. And let me encourage you to share what you learn with your family, with our next generation. We'll talk more about that in the days ahead. Be a part of our online community. When you subscribe to A Significant Life on YouTube, you'll be able to catch up on past messages as well as watch extra content from the entire team. Follow us on Facebook and Instagram and visit us on our website, asignificantlife.com. You can listen to our latest podcasts, sign up for our weekly Step Into Significance devotionals. Join us today at asignificantlife.com.